Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How are you? I pray that you are well and that all is well. Some of us uh, were pretty near a tornado that touched down here in Tyler, Texas last night, but all is well. And I know there have been others that have suffered throughout the country. So um, we pray that you are doing well and trust God for every single thing he allows to happen to us. We are going to continue today. With you know, I'm always so tempted to bring you up to date on what's going on in the news and in the church, but um, that's not what we're about. We want uh, to know our faith so that whatever is coming upon us, we can, um, uh, no matter what anyone takes from us, um, if our families are separated, if we lose our homes, whatever it is, no one can take our faith from us. No one can take from us our love for God. No one can touch that. No one can destroy that. That's why it's so important to know the faith. So important, dear parents, for you to teach your children the faith. And we are reading through the Catechism Explained. And um, we've got quite a ways to go to go through it, but we're not on a train. We're not, uh, we don't have any particular deadline. We'll just take it um, point by point as we can, as our Lord gives us time. And we'll take your calls and your emails during the second half of the program. We are reading um, from the section of our Lord's divine attributes. That is, an attribute is what is true of God, not just what he's like, but what is true of him. We could say someone it, what are they like? What is what is Jim like? What is Sarah like? Well, you know, they're very kind, which is good. But when we say God is kind, it means he's always kind. He never acts apart from who he is. He never acts apart from his mercy, his justice, his kindness, um, his love. Uh, he punishes uh, as a father punishes his children in his love. Um, and the wrath of God comes down against sin. He is who he is, and he changes not. Um, we are on point nine, that God is full of mercy and compassion. He very readily forgives our sins when we are sincerely sorry for them. Our Lord gives a beautiful object lesson of the mercy of God in the story of the prodigal son. I love that story. See how quickly God forgave the sin of David, King David. In 2 Kings chapter 12, um, it's a property of God to have mercy and to spare. God's mercy is infinite like the sea. It has no bounds. God requires of us that we should forgive 70 times 7. How immeasurably merciful, therefore, must God be. And some people say, well, how much is 70 times 7? Well, we could figure that out, but that's not the point. It means that God's mercy has no end. It's infinite. The mercy of God especially shows itself in the way in which God seeks out the sinner, seeking to win him both by benefits 
and by the sufferings he inflicts, and also in the love with which he receives again and again the greatest sinner after his conversion, showing him a greater good, a greater goodwill than before. God is like the good shepherd who goes after the lost sheep until he finds it. God sent the prophet Nathan to David. He himself sought out the Samaritan woman. I love the story of uh, the prophet Nathan going to David. And I've told this a few times, I think, on the air, but I'll tell it again because it's one of the most beautiful stories and a true story of how a shepherd leads his sheep. David is a shepherd. He is the shepherd of Israel, but he was also king, and he's Israel's greatest king. But he sinned terribly. He committed murder. He committed adultery um, and other sins against God. And he committed adultery with Bathsheba, who was married to Uriah, and uh, the child born from their union, God put to death. Um, And David not only committed adultery with Bathsheba, but put her husband Uriah in the first line of battle knowing that he would be killed. So David really killed him, had him killed. Um, And it took David a year to confess his sin. And it was the prophet Nathan that went to David and explained to him, uh, gave him an analogy of, of a shepherd that had many, many sheep. And he went and took... Uh, the the sheep of someone who had only one. And David said, oh, that man should be put to death. And Nathan said to David, David, thou art the man. Thou art the man. And David, again, was struck to the heart by God's spirit. And as a psalm of repentance, David wrote Psalm 50 or 51 in the new rendering, 50 in the old, um, have mercy on me, O Lord, create in me a clean heart. And in that psalm, David said to God, let the bones which thou hast broken rejoice. What did David mean by that? He meant that when a sheep goes astray, and David had many, many sheep, so he knew this, when a sheep goes astray, If the sheep is without the shepherd, he's a goner. The wolf is going to get him. Uh, He's going to get into situations where he can't survive. He'll go down, he'll follow a goat down a mountain, get stuck in a thorn bush and can't get himself out. The goat can run back up the mountain, but the sheep can't. And so the shepherd knows that if a sheep is outside the fold, outside the watch of the shepherd, he's a goner. And so the shepherd goes and gets the sheep and brings them back. But if the same little sheep keeps going astray, uh, off on his own, the shepherd eventually goes to that sheep, picks him up, and breaks his legs. And now the sheep can't walk. And the shepherd puts the sheep on his shoulders and brings him back to the fold. And the sheep still can't walk. So the shepherd carries him for weeks and he feeds them, and he takes care of them. And when the little legs are healed, he puts the little sheep down on the ground again, and guess who follows the shepherd everywhere? (laughs) That little guy, that little four-legged thing. Not because he's afraid the shepherd will break his legs again, but because he's come to love the shepherd. And so David was a shepherd. And in, in his psalm of repentance, he said to God, let the bones which thou hast broken rejoice. 
It's so, so beautiful, beloved. And so um, uh, the catechism explained, Reverend Sparago says, God is like the good shepherd who goes after the lost sheep until he finds it. God sent the prophet Nathan to David. He himself sought out the Samaritan woman, God did. And often God sends troubles that through them the prodigal son may be brought to his senses. He is like a fisherman who tries every sort of device to entice fishes into his net. God is always ready to pardon even the greatest sinner. For he says, if your sins be as scarlet, they shall be made white as snow, and if they be red like crimson, they shall be white as well, Isaiah chapter 1. In fact, the greater the sinner, the more lovingly does God receive him, if he is willing to amend. Hence, David says to God, be merciful to my sin, for it is great. God is like a fisherman who is more glad to catch big fish than small ones. No one is lost because he has committed great sins, but many are lost because they have committed one sin of which they will not repent. I'm going to repeat that sentence, beloved. You need to memorize it. We need to know this deep in our heart. No one is lost because he has committed great sins, but many are lost because they have committed one sin of which they will not repent. And of course, there's Judas. Even Judas would have received forgiveness if he had asked for it. God sometimes forgives the sinner in the last moment of his life. He received the good thief on the cross, yet this is no reason for putting off repentance till the last. God justified one man at the last moment that none might despair, but only one that none might presume, says St. Augustine. A deathbed repentance is generally a very doubtful business. The dying sinner forsakes his sins rather because he cannot help it than because from his heart he detests them. He is like a mariner who throws his goods into the sea simply from fear of death, not because he wishes to get rid of them. Witness how rarely a conversion made in the peril of death proves lasting if the sick man recovers. It is absurd, says St. Bernardine of Siena, that a man, it is absurd that a man who would not fight when he was well and strong should be moved to the combat when he is sick and weak. God also receives the repentant sinner most lovingly. See how Christ received with tender compassion Magdalene, the woman taken in adultery, and the thief on the cross. How kindly the father, how kindly the father of the prodigal son received him, and God receives the sinner more kindly than that. There's the music for our first break, beloved. We'll be right back after the break. You're welcome to call in at any time. We'll continue this when we come back from the break and take your calls and emails after the second break. The toll-free number for you to call in with anything on your heart is 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back. 
please join Father Mark Noonan in praying the Litany of Humility. O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebukes, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being calumniated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being wronged, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being suspected, deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be esteemed more than I, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. That in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be chosen and I set aside, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be praised and I unnoticed, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be preferred to me in everything, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. That others may become holier than I, provided that I may become as holy as I should. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. Amen. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back to Mother Miriam Live, beloved. We are talking about God's divine attributes, His characteristics, what is true of Him, and we are on the point of God's mercy and compassion. Um, You know, God's mercy, His mercies are new every morning. We think about His giving us, being merciful, giving us good things, but His mercy also means that He withholds from us He gives us what we don't deserve, but he withholds from us what we do deserve, which is death for our sins. So his mercy does both. And um, I'm grateful for God's mercy, I tell you, dear ones, every moment of my life, because I know I deserve hell. I know that. I know that. We all do. It's, It's two and two is four. We deserve hell, the payment of sin, the wages of sin. What we have earned by our sin is death. If we got what was coming to us, it would be death. If anyone out there thinks that you're a good person and that would get you into heaven, you don't begin to understand the gospel and the love and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. Um, and if, if you're confused about that, I want to ask you to call in during the next half hour, and we can talk about it. God is full of mercy and compassion. He very readily forgives our sins when we are sincerely sorry for, uh, sincerely sorry for them. Um, 
Let me just see where we were at. Uh, <clears throat> okay. All right. And, and we finished saying the Good Shepherd has more joy over the return of one wandering sheep than over the 99 that never went astray. And you could say, but I've always been God with God. I've always loved him. Well, yes, and blessed be his name. Blessed be his name. But when someone goes astray, um, if we know how much we don't deserve it, have received the grace of God, we pray for that one to return and rejoice and kill the fatted calf when he does. Point 10 is that God is infinitely holy. Infinite means without measure, without end, infinitely holy. He loves good and hates all evil. You mean God hates? He does. He hates evil. He hates sin. He loves the sinner. He died for the sinner, but he hates the sin. God's holiness is nothing else than a love of his own infinite perfections. He is free from the faintest stain and therefore desires that all should be like to himself. How pure is the blue heaven on which there is no cloud. How pure is the white snow on which no spot is to be found. And yet God is infinitely purer. Even angels are not pure in his sight. The purity of the angels as compared with that of God is like the light of a lamp compared with the light of the sun. Isaiah writes, All our justice is like a solid rag before thee, O God. He says to us in Leviticus, God says, Be ye holy because I am holy. With this object he implants in our breast the natural law, which is our conscience. With this object he gave the law on Mount Sinai. With this object he attached evil consequences to evil deeds. And to cleanse the just from the impurities that cling to them, he purifies them by suffering. He also cleanses them by the fire of purgatory, since nothing unclean can enter heaven. Why is it that the saints and angels in heaven are represented as dressed in white garments? Why is it that at baptism a white robe is given to the newly baptized? Be pure and holy, beloved, and then you will be a child of God. Be pure and holy, and you will be a child of God. Point 11. God is infinitely just, not just infinitely holy, but infinitely just. That is, he rewards all good and punishes, punishes all evil. Justice and righteousness are interchangeable terms in Scripture. God's justice is identical with his goodness. He punishes men to make them better and to make them happy for the same reason, dear ones, that a parent punishes his child or her child to make them better. God punishes and rewards men partly on earth, but chiefly after death. Good actions bring men respect, sometimes riches, health, and a peaceful conscience. Bad actions bring just the opposite. Abraham, Noah, the patriarch Joseph were rewarded in this life. Absalom, the sons of Eli, and 
Antiochus Epiphanes were punished in this life, but it is in the next life, and especially after the resurrection, that body and soul alike will receive their full reward. If all sins were punished in this life, men would not believe in the judgment. They wouldn't believe in the judgment day. If none were punished here, they would not believe in God's retributive justice. St. Augustine said that. God rewards the least good action and punishes the smallest sin, just like that of a child, beloved. If your children are trying to do good in front of you, even for your praise, don't deny that. God rewards the least good action. We as parents need to represent God to our children and punishes the smallest sin. Christ tells us that even a cup of cold water given in his name will have its reward. A mere look or gesture, a mere look or gesture will meet with his due reward, with its due reward. Christ tells us that we shall give account for every idle word. Thirdly, God punishes men for the most part in kind, that is, in the same way in which they have sinned. By what things a man sinneth, says the wise man, by the same he also is tormented. Absalom, David's son, King David's son Absalom, prided himself on his long hair and it caused his death. The rich glutton sinned with his plate and it was his tongue and palate that were tormented in the fire of hell. Antiochus tormented the seven Maccabean brethren by, um, by tearing and maiming their flesh. And in his own flesh, I'm sorry, um, Antiochus tormented the seven Maccabean brethren by tearing and maiming their flesh and his own flesh was eaten by worms. A man wished, uh, Amon wished to hang Mordecai and prepare a gallows for him, and on the same gallows he was himself hanged. The women of Bethlehem would not shelter the mother of God and the divine son, and their children perished at the revengeful and cruel hand of Herod. Oh, I never put that together. Napoleon I imprisoned the Holy Father, the Pope, and in his return, was imprisoned first in Elba and then in St. Helena. These and many, <coughs> excuse me, these and many similar events, the Christian sees, in these and many similar events, the Christian sees the finger of God. Dear ones, before going on to our next point, I think we're going to uh, end right now in this reading and go ahead and begin to take your calls and your emails. And so feel free to call in. It's a few minutes before the break, but we can begin now. And the toll-free number with anything on your heart, you can always call in anonymously. You can write in anonymously. It's never an issue to us. The only uh, matter of the heart, the only heart of the matter is the matter of your heart. So um, 
call in toll-free with anything on your heart, uh, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at the station of the cross.com. I promised Tim yesterday that we would take his email today um, because we read it through yesterday but didn't have time to, to begin to answer his question. So I'm going to read it through very quickly right now. Again, Tim, um, he writes, Dear Mother Miriam, I enjoy listening to your podcast very much. I'm Catholic and 56 years old. I've been blessed with a kidney transplant from my youngest sister for almost 17 years. I receive financial benefits and monthly prescription medicine to keep the kidney healthy. I also have mild cerebral palsy after being a second-born twin. I greatly improve, improved my nervous system and alignment from doing um, Feldenkrais. Uh, it's awareness through movement. I'm not sure if I pronounced it correctly. Uh, for over 10 years with a great local practitioner in St. Louis Obispo. I am grateful uh, to receive federal assistance to rent an apartment in Santa Barbara, California. However, I'm not able to have a paying job because it will jeopardize my benefits. Now, that's a different subject. Um, it, it'd be interesting to know what benefits you would have if you had a paying job. Um, Tim says, I met a nice Catholic woman, Tina, on Christian Mingle, an online dating platform for Christians from Cathedral City in 2015. She has four children who are in their 20s and 30s. We dated for a while. Um, it became difficult to continue dating because Tina's daughter, Edith, and her boyfriend with their, with their two kids are living with her. No, that's not good. Her son is also living with her. We just didn't have the time for each other to build a relationship, and you shouldn't in the context of that living situation. Tina and I remain very strong spiritual friends. Um, she has been a catechist for over 15 years. I, I don't know what sort of catechist she is when she's allowing her daughter and her daughter's boyfriend with their two children to live with her. Um, it's not a good situation. Um, it's not a holy situation. Um, and Tim says she's very devout in her faith and is a hard worker. Well, again, I, I by the situation you've painted, Tim, she's not devout. She's very kind to everyone. That's good. And comes in conflict with. She's very kind to everyone. She comes in conflict with. And sorry, in conflict act with. Um, we speak on the phone three, four nights a week. I enjoy our conversations very much. I'm very grateful that I met her. However, I desire to meet a Catholic woman in Santa Barbara. What are some steps that you might recommend for that to happen? I value your thoughts and feedback very much. Blessings, Tim. Tim, here we come to the break again without my answering your email. I'll answer it as soon as we get back from the break. Um, feel free, dear ones, to call in during the break with anything on your heart, toll free, one 511 5483 or email at mother at com. We'll be right back. 
is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for April 21st. Today we celebrate Saint Anselm. The quiet life of a scholar and monk was perfect for Anselm. He was a stellar student, an independent thinker, and a gifted teacher and writer. For much of his adult life, Anselm lived and thrived in such a world. But at age 60, he was appointed Archbishop of Canterbury, England by the King, William Rufus. Anselm was unenthusiastic and the king himself was uncertain he had chosen the right man. William had no desire for a strong archbishop who would insist on reforms or challenge the throne, even in church matters. For seven years, the two men were at odds, so much so that Anselm spent part of that period in voluntary exile. Anselm returned to England after William Rufus's death, but soon found himself out of favor with the new king, Henry I. Disagreeing fiercely with Henry over the monarch's insistence on investing English bishops, Anselm spent another three years in exile. He returned only when Henry backed down. Anselm died in 1109, surrounded by the monks of Canterbury. He was named a doctor of the church in 1720. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. I turned from a recreational drug user to a drug addict. That took me to my knees. I lost a family, almost two families. I lost friends. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it. I love it. My heart's there. I took communion after 18 years, and I, the rest of the Mass I sat and cried. God restored my life. God restored my family. God restored my love. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason, visit catholicscomehome.org today. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. Um, we have a whole half hour together, and our phone lines are open, and you're welcome to call in uh, with anything whatsoever on your heart, toll-free, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at the station of the com. We have an email that I just completed reading before the break, and um, from a gentleman named Tim, who had been dating a woman that... Um, um, has a bit of a dysfunctional situation in her home um, with her her daughter and uh, her daughter's boyfriend and their two children. It's not a good situation. Um, and uh, he said he doesn't have enough time with her. Um, you know, it's not proper for anyone dating for a man to go into a woman's home or for a woman to go into a man's home while they're dating. It's absolutely not proper to do that. It causes scandal. It causes some temptation that shouldn't be there, and it causes scandal. You say, oh, come on, mother, this is 21st century. Get with the program. That's the problem. People are getting with the program. I'm with God's program. You don't enter the house of someone unless... Uh, it's a family gathering and you're invited for dinner or a holiday or another event where there's a whole bunch of people. And if that's the case, 
um, then you leave when they leave and you don't stay behind. Um, Tim, what I suggest to you, dear one, is that you be the greatest man of God you can be and a holy man of God and pray to Our Lady to bring you a woman um, that would be holy and truly set apart for him uh, and be faithful. Uh, I'm praying that you could be at church every Sunday and uh, pray to Our Lady and leave it in her hands uh, to grow you up in holiness and uh, to bring you the woman that Our Lady, she's a Jewish mother, she's a matchmaker, she can do that. And I would also say, Tim, if you can, get yourself a spiritual director who can help you to grow in holiness. We have an email from uh, someone who writes in anonymously and writes, Dear Mother Miriam, my question is in regards to my brother who is getting married in the Catholic Church. He is marrying his Catholic girlfriend of nine years, and they have four children together. Oh, my goodness. They have been living together almost the entire time that they have known one another, and they currently do not attend Mass. They have baptized all their children and have one child attending a Catholic school. My brother stopped speaking to me a few years ago because my brother and his girlfriend had informed the entire family that they did not want anyone to see my brother's two children he has from previous relationships with other women. My husband and I were the only ones who did not comply with their unreasonable demands, therefore they stopped speaking to us. We still continue to keep in touch with his children from his previous relationships, and we all do not live in the same state. It seems that everyone is happy that they are getting married in the church, yet I do not believe it's right to be getting married in the Catholic Church if you do not believe what the church teaches, nor attend Mass. You're absolutely right. Of course they should not be getting married in the Catholic Church. They're not Catholic. Um, the writer says, we do not plan to attend this wedding, correct? And I'm wondering how I should go about this situation. Should I call and congratulate them? Absolutely not. Even though I doubt they would take a call from us, or should we just continue to pray for them and their conversion? It saddens me greatly that my brother abandoned his previous children and began a new life with his girlfriend. Thank you. May God bless you, Anonymous. Um, I wouldn't call him if you doubt he'll take a call from you. I would not go to that wedding, and I would not call him. I would write a very uh, heartfelt letter to say that marriage is always good. It's always God's route to be married, especially if you're in the church to be married. However, the two of you have been living outside of a proper marriage uh, for years. Um, you've had children out of wedlock. Uh, you've had previous children. And all this needs to be repented for. So for you to be married in the church is a, is a mockery because you don't believe what the church teaches. To believe what the church teaches means that you would live as brother and sister for, for a good time, minimum six months, and you would go to confession and you would let allow a priest to give you marriage preparation and you would tell the truth. For you to get married in the church and receive communion when you have been living in a sinful state um, is, is a mockery. So uh, 
We'll do anything we can to help you, but we cannot come to your wedding. Then the other thing you need to do is you need to call the pastor of his church and, and let him know the situation and say, Dear Father, if you give them communion and marry them uh, apart from their attending Mass, apart from their really being Catholic, you will be committing a great sacrilege and helping their souls on the road to hell. You need to do that. We have an email from Mary who says, Our Archdiocese has decided that all receiving communion should remain standing until all have completed receiving. This is astounding. Just astounding. The rationale is a sign of unity. No, no it's not. However, this does not seem very worshipful, and it's not. And though we are permitted to be seated after the celebrant is seated, Every little time is given for prayer. Very little time, she says, is is given for prayer. I've chosen not to remain standing, but to observe the traditional practice of returning to my pew and kneeling in prayer. Am I being disobedient and therefore wrong? Would you agree that kneeling in prayer is the more reverent of the two options? Absolutely. You are being disobedient to this particular priest, but you are not wrong. He is wrong. He's giving you wrong instructions. He's putting the unity of Christians before the reverence for the Holy Eucharist. No, we don't do that. Um, Return to your seat and kneel, Mary, and maybe you will help others have the courage to do the same. Your priest has no right whatsoever to ask you to remain standing. We have an email from Pat who says, Hello, Mother. I have a question about genealogy in the Bible. I always thought it was odd that there are biblical accounts that list the bloodlines or relatives of Jesus. If Jesus came from a virgin birth, wouldn't that mean that he technically had no blood relatives at all? Did they instead use Mary and Joseph bloodlines in these accounts. Thank you, Pat. Pat, Jesus was born from a virgin. Indeed, Mary was a virgin, but he took her flesh and blood. He had her bloodline, which is the bloodline of the son of David, because the Messiah was to be the son of David. And so Mary came through the line of David. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, um, 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 Judah and the family of David right through to Christ. She was born of the line of David, which was necessary for the Messiah. And so Jesus does have a bloodline from Mary, not from Joseph, but from Mary. Um, and so technically Jesus had blood relatives uh, all the way from uh, actually Abraham on. He had blood relatives. Um, you could trace the messianic line from Eve on, really, uh, right from Eve through Seth, through Noah, through Abram, all of that. So no, he had a bloodline for sure. Um, and and um, Pat says, did they instead use Mary and Joseph's bloodlines in these accounts? They did use Mary's bloodline because she is his mother. And He took flesh and blood from Mary, the same flesh and blood that we receive at every Holy Mass in the Eucharist is 
the flesh and blood now risen and glorified that Mary gave to Jesus when he became man through her. Joseph also came from David's line because he, although um, Joseph was not his physical father, but he needed to come from the royal line of David. We have an email from someone who writes it anonymously and says, Mother Miriam, I'm currently in a very difficult and stressful marriage, and I need your advice. I'm considering all my options, and I'm not sure how to proceed. I've heard that the church offers annulments for these type of situations. So my first question is, what are the grounds for an annulment exactly? Well, I cannot give you that. Um... There's a book called 101 Reasons or Facts About Annulments. Um, but the, the reasons for an annulment have to do with the actual marriage. Um, it is not a Catholic divorce. It, it goes back to the circumstances of your marriage to say whether you are actually married. And if the, if the tribunal, marriage tribunal of a diocese, determines through that that you were not officially married, that it was not a valid marriage. They issue a degree, uh, a decree of nullity, meaning the marriage is null and void, meaning it never took place. Um, it's listed, um, but it's not sacramental. It never took place in God's eyes, and so it was never a marriage. So the requirements are when two people get married, they have to be baptized, they need to be Catholic, and they need to agree to raise the children Catholic. They need to be in a state of grace. Um, and they need to say yes to everything the Catholic Church teaches. Now, if someone does all that, but in their heart, they're not interested in raising the children Catholic, or um, and they weren't at the time of marriage, or someone got married because they were forced to get married, by their parents or uh, f for whatever reasons, out of fear or other things, they really weren't free, that marriage would not be valid. So the requirements uh, to have a valid marriage is that they must be in a state of grace, they must be free and choose the marriage of their own free will, and it must be sacramental, meaning that it's Catholic and the children are going to be raised Catholic. Um, and, and that would be, so again, if someone is looking for an annulment, they need to go back to the circumstances uh, in which their marriage took place and have witnesses to that um, so the church could determine if their marriage was valid. If the marriage was valid, there's no annulment because it cannot be null and void. They're married. Um, secondly, uh, the question is, Jesus states in Matthew 19 that to divorce one and marry another is to commit adultery. Exactly right. I don't want to sin against God, and now I'm confused as to why the church would offer annulments to begin with if Jesus stated these things. Well, he said that uh, in, also in Matthew 19, it was not so from the beginning, and the reason that God allowed divorce under the law under Moses is because of their hardness of heart. And the marriages in the Old Testament were not sacramental. Nothing was sacramental in the Old Testament. And so um, 
because of their hardness of heart, God wrote, uh, our Lord wrote in the Gospels, he allowed divorce, but not so today. Uh, there is no such thing as divorce. Um, uh, again, there's a, you can get a, a, a civil divorce, but that, that means you're still married, unless the church determines that the marriage never took place to begin with. Um, there's a little more to this email, which will continue as soon as we come back from the break. We'll have 10 minutes. Our lines are open, and you're welcome to call in again with anything on your heart. Toll free, one 877 5483 or email at and we'll be right back. Jim Havens, co-founder of the National Men's March to Abolish Abortion and Rally for Personhood. Some truths are self-evident, some rights are unalienable. It is a scientific fact that life begins at conception fertilization. It is a foundational moral truth that we ought not murder innocent human beings. Every human being is a human person with a right to life and the equal protection of law according to the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. Yet we have an ongoing daily mass murder of our little pre-born brothers and sisters. It's time for all men and women of goodwill to rise up together in the public square and say no more. Come join us in Albany, New York on Saturday, June 3rd. Men, let's go first and gather at 9 a.m. for the Men's March. Women, we need you to join us at 1045 a.m. for the Rally for Personhood outside of the New York State Capitol. We'll have some great speakers along with terrific opportunities for formation and fellowship before and after. Go to themensmarch.com for all the details. See you in Albany. Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam. How would you like to wake up each morning to inspiring sermons from knowledgeable and faith-filled priests? You can tune in to Sermons for Everyday Living every day at 6 a.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. You can listen on thestationofthecross.com or anytime on the free iCatholic Radio mobile app. God bless you. Bumper magnets are a great way to promote the gospel as proclaimed through Catholic radio. We hear all the time from new listeners who were introduced to the station through a bumper magnet. We'd be happy to send you a bumper magnet so that others can come to know our Lord. Just go to thestationofthecross.com and find our bumper magnet request button under the About tab. That's thestationofthecross.com under the About tab. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our last segment, and um, you are welcome to call in with anything on your heart. Toll free one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three or email at mother at the station of the cross dot com. We are in the middle of an email by a woman who writes it anonymously and is in a very difficult and stressful marriage. 
and is wondering about God's teaching on divorce, which he hates. And we talked about the requirements for marriage and an annulment. And she says, I just want to be happy, but I'm not going to put myself above what God wants. Good for you. If I were to receive an annulment, she says, and again, an annulment is not a Catholic divorce. It has to do with going back to the moment of your marriage to determine whether it was absolutely valid from the beginning. If it was valid, no amount of divorce or anything, if if someone can get divorced, they're still married in God's eyes. If the church issues a degree of nullity, it means that the marriage was not valid to begin with and that therefore you would be free to marry. Um, And she says, if I were to receive an annulment, I'm not sure if I would even remarry anyways because God would have to put the right man in my life. I have no children currently and with the state of my marriage, I don't think it's a possibility. So if I were to remarry, I would want to be open to welcoming life if that is what God wants from me. Would it be improper of me to have children in a second marriage? Okay, lots of problems here. Um, She said, uh, I have no children currently, um, and with the state of my marriage, I don't think that's a possibility. Well, that has nothing to do with the state of your marriage. That has to do with your physical issue. If you are capable of having children and your husband is capable of having children, then marriage means that you're open to life. Uh, She says, so if I were to remarry, I would want to be open to welcoming life if that is what God wants for me. Well, if you're not open now to welcoming life, then you're in sin. Um, If you're using contraception, You're in mortal sin. You're in grave sin. She says, would it be improper of me to have children in a second marriage? There's no such thing as a second marriage. If your marriage is annulled, meaning that it never took place to begin with, then this would, and you got remarried uh, under the law, but you got, you you had an annulment from this marriage and you got married uh, to a new man. It wouldn't be a second marriage. It would be a first marriage. The only time there's a second marriage is if the first marriage is valid and one of the spouse dies. She says, I've tried for a long time to stick with my current marriage. I don't know what a long time is. I don't know if that's years or what and why you don't have children. But I I mean, you may not, you, you talk about you want to be open to having children and you must be open. Otherwise, you're in sin before God. She says, I've tried for a long time to stick with my current marriage, but I'm starting to crumble under the pressure. I don't know what a long time is, dear one. My husband is rarely home due to rarely home due to work, and when he is, he's often angry and aggressive, yelling loudly and calling me names while consuming large amounts of alcohol. Well, I don't know the state of your current marriage. Um, if you're being abused, yelling loudly and calling your names is not a case for divorce. If you're being abused, you need to live, physically you need to leave. Um, she said, I find it hard to believe this is what God's vision for my marriage was. It's not God's vision for your marriage. Absolutely not. But again, it doesn't sound like you yourself may have been prepared for marriage. If you're not open to life, if you're refraining from marital union with your husband, uh, if you are home alone, uh, 
um, it, uh, it doesn't sound like you might be living the sort of marriage God has desired. God does not desire what you're living for sure. But don't blame it on God. She said, but perhaps this is my cross to carry. I'm not sure how to decide what the final straw should be. There's no final straw. You said when you married, till death do we part. That's it. The final straw is death. Nothing short of that. If you are being physically abused um, and you don't have children, so the children aren't being abused, then you need to leave so that you're out of any harm. But you have made a vow till death do you part. You should read a book called uh, Why I Became a Priest. And it was a marriage between a man and a woman. She was a devout, devout Catholic, kept a diary, and he was an atheist. And after she died, uh, he read her diary. And he not only became Catholic, but a priest. Read that. Elizabeth Lesseur. Um <clears throat> She said, I want to make sure there are, uh, I'm not sure how to decide what the final straw should be, there is none, but I want to make sure that there are truly no options before I start over again. I don't want to take the easy way out. Well, you have no way out. If this is a valid marriage, there's no way out. There's only a way up for you to trust that God has allowed this, if you're living a truly Catholic life, get a spiritual director, Live a holy life. Be open to life with your children. If you're going to be open in a second marriage, what you think is a second marriage, which would be adultery, uh, you need to be open to life. Um, It might be the very beauty of having a little life to support that might change your husband. Um, She says, I hope you can clear some of this up for me. God bless you for all that you do. Uh, kind regards anonymous dear one you don't sound catholic i i hope that you are but your writing is not your thoughts are not catholic so i would say um uh, speak to a good priest a holy priest and ask him to help you um uh to become holy and to do what is right in this situation and if you're using contraceptives, you need to tell the priest because you need, you're in mortal sin, you're in grave sin, and it would be mortal, and you should not be receiving the Eucharist. So um, uh, you, need, um, you need to talk to a priest, sweetheart. We have a, a, a call on the line from Susan in Buffalo. Hi, Susan. Hi, Mother Miriam. How are you? I'm great, dear one. And, and yourself? Good, thank you. I'll make this quick. Um, And I was listening to what you were saying um, on the email before, and some of it sort of applies. And um, and, uh, so I don't know if you might say in the end, oh, this is none of your business, but I want to know what you think of this. Um, Mm -hmm. My sister, who lives clear across the country, um, she's separate from all of us, um, and uh, she and her husband have five children. Her youngest is uh, disabled, and through the years, uh, her husband um, frequently has jobs that were out of the area, out of state, and um, a couple years ago decided to join, I think it's the Army Reserves. So now, um, in addition to that, spends time with the reserves 
for you know six months or so at a time. That's awful. He had no right and, to do that. And I feel, um, and I don't know if it's number one, none of my business. It is your uh, business. Yeah, she's your anything. sister. It is your business. It is your business. How you handle it is another matter, but it is your business. Yes. Oh, sorry, I can hear the music, but I just, I, I wish my dad could, like, pull her aside and say, gosh, you got to talk to that guy. Um, it's not right. Well, and your dad should talk to that guy. Yeah. Your dad should talk to him, man to man. He is not living up to his marriage vows. He's not living up to his job as a man to take care of his family. He travels enough during his work. He has no business joining the reserves and being away. Absolutely not. He's failing his family. He's failing his wife. He's failing his marriage vows. He's failing God. And I would let have your dad have a good talk with him if that's possible. It is your business, Susan. God bless you, sweetheart. Sorry it's the end of the program. Have a good weekend, everyone. We'll speak with you Monday.